my message, and uh, it's, uh, it really stuck with me. Um, and uh, all day today, I was thinking about it, uh, and the theme of that message was uh, pretty simple, uh, that we have an if-then God. You know, the truth is that uh, God will heal your land. God will move if we will repent and turn to God. And uh, I want to jump off of that theme tonight, uh, while not directly preaching that message tonight, the message of repentance, of course, and turning away from your sins and turning to Jesus and turning to God Almighty. I wanted to talk about how the truth is as the church time is passing day by day, opportunities are passing us by day by day. And we need to do what we're going to do for the kingdom of God, and I believe we're, we need to do it now. And I believe that each and every one of us has to have that perspective, always having that perspective. I uh, was in the restaurant business, as many of you know, for years and years and years. And uh, so I used to follow uh, many of the big restaurant chains. And um, to this day, one of my favorite restaurants is Wendy's. So you go to Wendy's, you like the burgers there, right? And you enjoy, you enjoy that. And I was thinking about Wendy's because Wendy's is no longer Wendy's anymore. I mean, it is Wendy's, but it's no longer the family-run business that it was when I first followed Wendy's. Matter of fact, it's, it's owned by a group called the Triac Group, and they own Arby's and some other things. And uh, they, they do pretty good you know, food and all that. But the one thing that was interesting is there are no Wendy's in Australia. And as I heard that recently, I, I delved into it and I had remembered that there used to be Wendy's. There used to be lots of Wendy's in Australia. Matter of fact, Wendy's were successful in Australia. But what happened was, and you'll never believe this in America, Wendy's got bought out by Burger King. Wendy's got bought out by Burger King. And they bought all the Wendy's. And eventually, all the Wendy's disappeared. And I bring that up because Wendy's didn't lose its franchise. And they didn't buy them simply to uh, 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 do nothing with them. They buy, bought them, Burger King bought them, so that they could remove their name. The name of Wendy's. And the reason this happened was not because of the lack of success. It was because there were a few franchise owners there who decided that they were doing good enough. And they decided, we don't need to necessarily open new stores in new cities. We don't have to really delve into new areas, per se. There's a lot of competition there. We have a nice niche where we are. And what happened is eventually they got bought out. And what is also interesting is, right, when I looked into the reasons why they didn't want to move in, it 
was because there was a Sunday shop called Wendy's that they didn't want to compete against. And that got me to thinking. God doesn't want a token presence of Christianity. See, what Wendy's did was they, they violated the code of what you do when you build franchises, and that is you build them to grow. You create franchises so that your company can grow, so you can open up many, many stores. We just had a day ago, Wendy's open up right there, right across the street. Some of us are real happy about it. But see, despite success sometimes, we can, we can lose our calling. See, we have a calling in the, in, the, in the kingdom of God to advance the kingdom, to fill the earth with the presence of God through the preaching of the gospel. And God is not satisfied with token presences. He's satisfied with what I would say is nothing less than a spiritual revolution. And that takes an attitude. One of the things you need to realize is God is not impressed or satisfied with any degree of personal or corporate success. He is happy when our church does well. He is happy when you, or you brother, or you sister, do well in Christ. But he is not impressed or satisfied with any of our accomplishments. Because he has a stated goal. And he has a stated mission. And that is for his presence to fill the earth. And we need to realize the description of our task. And so I want to read from the word of God. And uh, if you're religious tonight, I'm sorry. This isn't one of those great religious uh, parts of the Bible that get people excited, but I think it can help us tonight. This is about Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. Acts, Acts 17. I, I want to encourage you tonight, and I want to precursor this by telling you, remember, the Thessalonican church is a church that would be commended by Paul down the road. Remember that the Thessalonican church is a church that eventually will be revealed the rapture and reveal God's plan. God has a special place, I believe, in his heart for this particular room of God. And I want you to think about that as we read this story. Paul and Silas traveled through the cities of Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to the city of Thessalonica where there was a synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue on three consecutive days of worship. He had discussions about scripture with the synagogue members. He explained and showed them that the Messiah had to suffer, die, and come back to life, and that Jesus, the person he talked about, was this Messiah. Some of the Jews were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, especially a large group of Greeks who had converted to Judaism and the wives of many prominent men. Then the Jews, verse 5, became jealous. They took some low-class characters who hung around the public square.
there, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They attacked Jason's home and searched it for Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. When they didn't find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some other believers in front of the city officials. They shouted, those men who have made trouble all over the world are now here in Thessalonica. And Jason has welcomed them as his guests. All of them opposed the emperor's decrees by saying that there is another king whose name is Jesus. Tonight, I want you to think about the revolutionary dealing and goings on of what Paul and the church were doing. You know, we have a task as Christians, and many places in this earth that we live in today, they have what we call a token presence of Christianity. That means, you know, they have a church here, a church there, but there's no move of God. And the task that we are called to have is a revival. God is, is calling us to have revival. And that causes inside of you, I hope tonight, a little bit of a revolutionary attitude. I can't tell you tonight, and I don't believe tonight I will necessarily pinpoint for each and every one of you the revolutionary attitude that you must take to achieve revival. But I can tell you, revival is personal. See, it's an overthrow of one system and establishing of another system. And there's something here that is also important. There is an element of notoriety. And it's not the kind we like. It's not the rap, notorious attitude that we like to walk around with in this day and age. And trust me, I know what I speak when it comes to wanting to have a certain level of attitude. But the truth is, the Bible calls Christians to be known as revolutionists. Do you have the attitude tonight to overthrow existing orders in your life and in the lives of others? Not just reforming, but renewal. And I'm talking about forcible substitution of power and authority from the old way to the new way. You know, in my home, when things aren't going right, I would like to think that I get tough. I would like to think that no matter what the situation is, I would get down on my knees and I would start to get tough. I would start to pray and contend as if I was willing to fight the devil. As if I was willing to overthrow what he is trying to put in place or what he already has put in place. Because the devil, trust me, he has powers and principalities and they are set up strategically 
They've watched this occur. I've seen it time and time again because I bring people to Jesus. I stand at the gates sometimes of hell and I yell at the devil until he backs off and a soul walks towards me. I've seen it. And that's the kind of revolutionary attitude that Paul had. He walked into that synagogue as he did, it says. That's what he did. He went to where the enemy was, the ones who killed Jesus, the ones who were responsible for killing Jesus, the Jews. He walked in there. That was his custom, to win as many of them first as he could. Because he understood something. This is a revolution that I'm starting. Now, I'm not talking about being a rebel. I'm talking about being a part of a revolution. See, change is necessary for revolutions. Without change, everything remains the same. Think about Eastern Europe this morning, I mean this evening. What would Eastern Europe be without nations long oppressed? Not content with promises of social and political reforms, but a heart to overthrow, to remove existing power structures. Now, I'll admit that some of these have not been godly revolutions, but I will also admit that if you want something to change, you need to be able to stand up and say, I'm willing to join and fight. One of the problems we have in our, in our country, in our world, is that everybody wants to talk about Jesus. But nobody wants to fight for Jesus. You know, the history of the New Testament is people preaching about Jesus, and it wasn't a pleasant message that accommodated the current lifestyles of that time. That's why I read this scripture to you. Because I wanted you to see who Jason was. You know, Jason was considered someone who harbored fugitives. Because he believed in Jesus. And Jason was one who would affect change. See, what the gospel really does, and we, you know, we always talk about it, don't we? You, you've heard pastors say, I want converts. I don't want religious people coming in. I want people who have been converted, changed from the inside out, born again. Not people who filled with religious knowledge. Although that's fun. They make some of the best converts when they actually get saved. Right? But the truth is, what the Bible should do, what, what the gospel should do, is it should change and affect the, what the acceptable mores are. Those are the guys. 
guiding principles of peoples and societies, the moorings. They're the foundations, and they should shake those foundations. It should change them. You know, people should spiritually walk into their house and go, wait, there used to be a door there, now it's closed. Because it was a door to sin. It was a door to unrighteousness. You know, people should be able to have a change inside of them. Not just an adding of religion. They should be changed, and who they really are should be changed. What they really do should be changed. When I got saved, guys, what I was changed. And every second that I don't hold on to that change, every second that I don't fight for that change to keep on happening inside of me, I can slip back into contentment. You know, one of the things that I've heard about going into other nations and working with people is that you've got to be really careful when you meet a Christian minister there. Because there is a basic dishonesty sometimes when it comes to these established religious groups that have set their flag in places. See, you deal with many people who claim to be Christians. They talk the talk about the gospel, but they lack the fundamental standards. They're no different than the world they live in. They don't seem different because they're not. You know, sometimes people think of things as merely rules. I'm not talking about merely rules. I'm talking about making stands for righteousness. You know, Christians, for instance, they think it's okay. In most churches in the United States, they think it's okay to fornicate. Right? They're engaged. They've been living together. They're dating. They've lived together. That's fine. Let's just encourage them to get married. No. That's not what the Bible says. Bible says fornication is wrong. You don't just encourage people to do something. You stand for righteousness. You know, some people, I've heard people go, man, why, you know, why do you guys play so many churches? Well, because there's so many bad ones. I'm not here to pick on churches.
They didn't accept moral conditions in their lives. Popular religious traditions weren't things that they were focused on. You know, so many times today we're trying to copycat another church. You know, oh, what did they do that work? Right? How can we reach God that way? Oh, maybe, maybe we can do this. Instead of going, okay, I'm going to go out on the street corner and I'm going to preach and I'm going to try to find as many converts who want to live for God and change their lives. I want to find people who want to change, who want to be transformed, like the Bible says, by the renewing of their mind. And I'm not trying to tell you tonight that you go around just upsetting people. I've had some of those. I'm just trying to tell you tonight it's not always healthy to be acceptable and popular. There's going to be times we're going to be dragged into a room and they're going to say, this guy believes this. And you need to say, yep, I do. And this is why. See, that's one of the reasons that we don't, you know, get involved with certain things like inter-ministry associations and all those types of things. Because we're not always called. We're not Call to form diplomatic relations or have some sort of spiritual detente. You know, like, okay, you stay over there, I'll stay over here, we're good. No. We're not good. It's not always good. You know, sometimes we need to bring effect. We need to, uh, you know, we need to uh, do things like, uh, you know, I mean, I hate to say this, but, you know, we used to, sometimes we used to burn books and burn CDs, you know. Are you, are you ashamed of our heritage? Are you? Because I'll tell you right now, you want to bring in uh, your, your Nas or you want to bring in your Iron Maiden? You want to bring in your, your uh, whatever kind of garbage you guys are listening to now? We'll burn it down. I remember a, team, a family locked in because I burned the book. They're still in church now. They're right in my front yard. Here we go. Let's do it. It was hard to burn, too. I had to use a lot of bladder fluid. Didn't burn easy. But if it's ungodly, it's ungodly. And if it makes other people angry, okay, I'm sorry. I'm still going to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. You know? I mean, I got a little, I'll get, I'll get the, what's the, what's the kid's, what's the guy's name? Um, what's the, uh, what's the uh, wrestler's name? Uh, burn it down, right? Burn it down. Tear it down. Move it up. Right? I like him. I don't know who he is. I've never watched him that much, but I like him anyways. I seen him. I seen him one time telling me he was going to tear it down. I like that. Tear down unrighteousness. See? What do you stand for? Because I, I want us to have men in here. 
And ladies, don't take offense here, because I want those men to be standing up, and you ladies just looking at them like, that's my man. So don't be sorry. Don't, don't, tell, don't think I'm not doing anything here just for men. I'm not. I want you ladies to just be all doo-doo-eyed about your men. Oh, that's my reason, man. But that's what I want. I want men. That's what our church was built on. That's, you know, they, they, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I didn't get up here from a street corner because guys treated me like, like, uh, you know, we tender kids gloves. I'm sharing some of my story, but there's more to it than that. I've had pastors hang up on me when I said the wrong thing. I've had pastors tell me, no, start taking care of your wife and shut your mouth. I've had that said to my face. But it built a man who had convictions. It, it built a man, the man I was supposed to be, the, a revolutionary with the heart of a revolution. And I want to tell you, it doesn't take many men historically. You know, I looked up a few, but the one that impressed me the most was probably the most ungodly of them all, the communist revolution. 18 men. 18 men plotted to overthrow a czar, that's a king. A Russian king. He was powerful too. He had diplomatic relations across the world. He had an army that was huge. 18 men overthrew him. It doesn't take a lot of men to start a revolution in these streets. It takes a few men who are willing to do it. My final. Well, no, let me give you another one. Because I have another point. The Long March. Now is song. Chinese Revolution. That wasn't old men that started that. It wasn't powerful men that started that. It was youthful men. 54% of the people who started that revolution were under the age of 18. So young people, Begin to have a revolutionary spirit unless you want to be a drug addict. Unless you want to be unemployed. Unless you want to be a pervert. Yeah, I said it. It's Wednesday night. I can get away with it, right? But is that what you want to be? Do you want to not have a home? Do you want to not have a family? Do you want to be like these men that are out in the streets? Selling drugs, thinking they're cool, and dead at 25? <clears throat> Do you want to even be like one of those guys who makes it, but because he has his foot in the devil's playground, even though he has millions of dollars, he can shout dead in a parking lot? And he had any other dolls, he was called hustle. Well, he didn't hustle enough, did he? Because he's dead. And the truth is, you know, you men can step up, but they, they have to get out of their comfort zone because there's a price to have a revolution. And there's a fire that has to be within, inside of you. You can't settle. You can't settle tonight. But I can tell you, you can be young. All you have to do is not accommodate that laziness, accommodate that sin in your life. 
life. You just don't have you. You have to say to yourself, you know what? That's going to kill me. And have a revolutionary spirit. I want to tell you, some of us we may have started to back up a little bit and thought to ourselves, I'm not sure if I'm willing to risk anything anymore. I'm not sure if the fire is still in me. I, I, maybe I should just settle down. I want to tell you something. I'm not here boosting up just the church either because I've seen great religious movements of God that just settled in and died. I've studied them. History shows me time and time again. John Wesley, a powerful man of God, a revolutionary. One of the first men ever to just send out normal folks like us, laymen. And they started to criticize him. He said, I'd rather have Guys been filled with the Holy Spirit than guys who know that Bible. That's what he said. Guys who are filled with the Holy Spirit, God shows them the Bible. See, guys who just have the Bible up here in their head, but they don't have it here in their heart, they're not going to do nothing for God. They're going to sit in their little academic desk, and they're not going to tell anyone about Jesus. And you know how John Wesley knew that? Because he had learned all the things of God. He had a godly mother, and he wasn't saved. And they gave him a diploma. He didn't get saved until after he was a minister. You can look it up yourself. See, you have to have a revolutionary spirit. You can't want to do something and lack the personal Christ that comes with it. Just like everyone agrees, there's, there's needs in this world, but no one wants to be involved in them. I want to tell you that the price is just to give your life. And honestly, what is a life without Jesus? You know, I've been there. I've, I've been a wannabe. You know, going on thinking trying to attain a level, feel nice about what I'm doing. Looked at people, I remember I used to look at people on the street corner that preached and I thought, man, those guys, are, they're, they're, they're over the top. Why are, they, why are they bothering people? Why are they pushing their beliefs on them? They're too radical, they seem extreme. But the reality is, they really cared about those people's souls. And thank God I actually met a few of them. And they finally told me the truth about Jesus and I got saved. And they were able to impart that revolutionary spirit inside of me. And God can do that to you. He can do that to this church. That's the potential. This little church here has reached nations for Jesus. South Africa, India, South America, and Asia. And we got a couple left, guys. Who's next? Who's ready to step up and see God move? I want to tell you, some of you people in here, you have so many abilities. You need to rise to that leadership. 
commitment of your life. Just say, you know what? I don't know what skills and blessings I have, God, but I enjoy you. you know, that's what I did. I just said, you know, I enjoy you more than that, more than what I came from. I enjoy you more than that, God. Don't let me lose my vision. I want to further purpose the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the world. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Don't let that burning go away from you tonight. Don't let that calling seem faint and distant. Don't let it be lost upon you tonight that there are souls out there. It's not an ideology, guys. It's not as President Trump said, nationalistic interests. It's not personal ambition. Tonight is the advancement of the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you don't have to worry about, you're not going to have a pastor here who's going to back any politician until they start telling me that they will serve the kingdom of God. That their goal was to advance the kingdom and the gospel. And that will be political suicide when they kicked off the ballot immediately. And then we can just go move on to the next guy. See, the real revolution is happening here. When I was a kid, I, I never knew why it caught my attention so much, but it always caught my attention, and there was this phrase, the revolution will not be televised. I want to tell you something. The revolution will not be televised tonight. It won't. The revolution is going to happen with each and every one of the hearts of people who say, you know what, I don't want that. I enjoy God. And I want to advance His kingdom. I don't want that kingdom. I want God's kingdom. And they're going to be called revolutionaries when they die. Jesus did not come to bring peace but a sword. He calls us to be Christians. He calls us to be revolutionaries. Make no mistake. Christ's total commitment is completely worth it tonight. Because you will be inside and wrapped up with the joy of the Lord. Because nothing brings more pleasure to God than to see souls saved. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. We serve a good God tonight, a loving God. And I know tonight there are people in this place tonight that God wants to touch you, wants to speak to you. Let him help you tonight. It wouldn't be right to end this service without making a call. A call to sinners tonight. If you're in this place and sin is wrapped around your heart, maybe you 